Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know, and I was open with him. I said, Sully, I said, I'm, you know, I'm excited. It's great. I said, but I, I still, you know, don't be surprised if I end up in Gainesville here in a couple months. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we are joined by former University of Florida right-hand pitcher, current assistant coach at the University of South Florida, Carson Whitson. I honestly wasn't really sure what to expect out of Carson when we started this conversation. He had a great early start to his college career. He was a Sunday starter for the Gators, pitched in Omaha, was a freshman All-American, all the good things. But Carson was notable for turning down over $2 million as the Padres' first-round pick out of high school, and financially, on paper, the move didn't work out. His arm trouble limited him for the rest of his Gators' career. The great thing about this conversation is Carson is anything but regretful and clearly treasures the decision he made and his times as a Gator. I'll kind of paraphrase him on this, but he has a he has a really good point when he say he can't put a price on going to Omaha twice. It's a great conversation about college baseball, especially his early years, really smack in the middle of that beginning of that Florida is a big time national powerhouse, the Mike Zanino years, Brian Johnson, Jonathan Crawford, that whole team, you know, going to Omaha three times in a row, uh, talking how to fit in with a group of guys that have already been to Omaha when you get there, uh, where team chemistry comes from and how to make yourself a valuable member of the team, even when you're not able to contribute on the field. Really great conversation and perspective in this one. Hope everyone enjoys it. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, please leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. It's NCAA postseason time. Regionals are this weekend, and MILB season is off and running. It's always a good time to be subscribed to BA, and also make sure to subscribe to Future Projection wherever you get your podcast. That's uh, Ben Badler, Carlos Colazzo, one of my favorite podcasts every week. Uh, for future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter, at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Carson Whitson. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, a right-hand pitcher, freshman All-American at Florida, an 11th round pick of the Boston Red Sox in 2014, current coach at the University of South Florida, Carson Whitson. Carson, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Of course, yeah. Been um, we we've been circling the wagons on this for a little bit. Been looking forward to it. Um, obviously, want to get into you know everything going on with your career, um, you know your career story. But with uh, with you being at USF and this being you know we were talking before recording such kind of a um, you know a weird year in college baseball, but thankfully a much better year than last year. You know when this episode drops, we're, we're likely going to be close to Omaha. But recording in early May, what have things been like on your end navigating this college baseball season? You know with COVID protocols, obviously, but also you know probably a bigger roster than usual. You know how does that impact a pitching staff navigating those innings and and you know dishing out playing time? Yeah, for sure. I, I'll tell you what, man. It's definitely uh, it's definitely kept you on your toes as a coach, you know, because there's there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, week to week, especially with with the COVID protocols and you know the the fall for us was challenging because um, probably half our pitching staff uh, tested positive for COVID at one point. So, you know, guys are having to quarantine and and still try to you know get some sort of uh, throwing done in, in an environment that's, you know, probably not ideal. But I tell you what, man, guys got creative and, uh, you know, you could really uh, tell the guys that, that wanted, you know, that wanted it, that wanted to get their work in, man, they found ways to do it. And it was a credit to those guys. You know, the spring's been a little bit easier for us and just in terms of, you know, kind of our day-to-day and, and what our weeks look like. You know, luckily for us, uh, you know, we've only – only had one weekend canceled due to COVID, but we've pretty much had all of our guys together the whole year. So it's been easy to kind of manage the pitching staff and the throwing routines and the lifting schedules and all that stuff. And uh, man, our guys have just been showing up to the field every day. Uh, They've been super positive and 
you know, I think all of us, coaches, players, support staff, everyone involved is, you know, very appreciative now, I guess, more than ever of just the time we have to, to be on the field with our guys. Yeah, I think we as fans are also appreciating how much time that, that we've been able to see college baseball on the field this year. It's been, um, you know, it's been honestly a pleasant surprise at how seemingly smoothly things have gone, um, you know, not not underselling, you know, teams that have had their difficulties with protocol and things like that. But it, it has been an exciting college baseball season. Uh, but I want to get back to uh, when you were coming up, pre-college, uh, getting into high school. You were a multi-sport guy. You played basketball growing up as well. When did you realize as, as a youth that focusing on baseball was going to be the move for you? Yeah, you know, I, I think baseball was always uh, kind of my first love, true love, you know, and I, I started young, probably five, six years old. And as I got uh, as I got older into middle school, um, you know, I played basketball, I played a year of football and and uh, started, you know, messing around with other sports and just just had a love for, for the competition that, that the different sports, you know, provided and you know, a lot of it, I think, when you're growing up in a community, you know, you gravitate towards, you know, doing things that your buddies are doing. So, you know, for me, that was kind of going out and, and doing the football thing for a year. But uh, my dad played college basketball at Chipola. So, you know, I think selfishly, he, you know, he, he enjoyed watching me on the court a little bit, getting out there and mixing it up. But yeah, man, I just I just love competing. You know, I love the, the challenge of, of trying to win and whether that was basketball, baseball, football, it was all, uh, you know, competition to me. And, you know, really my, my junior, senior year of high school was, is when I kind of focused on, on baseball uh, year-round. So I realized, you know, once I committed to Florida my junior year and, um, you know, kind of had some, some anticipation with the draft, I really wanted to kind of put all of my eggs in one basket and, and focus on baseball there my senior year. You mentioned that the commitment to Florida, what, you know, what'd you put value into when it came down to your college decision? I mean, obviously Florida, you know, was a, was a powerhouse. I mean, even, you know, you, you were right there at the, basically the beginning of it, um, as things, you know, Florida kind of took the next step, but how did you, you know, how'd you make that college decision? How'd you go about, because a, a player of your talent, of your stature, you probably had other choices besides Florida, especially living in the state of Florida. There's, you know, there's plenty of choices, you know, a short drive away. Yeah, no, I definitely had, uh, had some options, you know, for me, I, a lot of people don't know, but uh, both my parents graduated from the University of Florida. So I grew up going to, to the football games. Um, my parents went to the, one of the national championship games uh, for football. Uh, my dad took me up to the Final Four in Indianapolis, I think, in 2008 for basketball uh, when, when, when Billy Donovan won it uh, with those guys. So, man, I, was, I, I grew up a huge Gator fan, you know, and that was always a dream of mine. Ever since I really started playing baseball and, and really, you know, started to watch college baseball, we would go up and catch games. So that was a big dream of mine. And then, you know, once I – once I was educated and, and, and matured up a little bit in high school on kind of the recruiting process, um, I really still wanted to find a good fit and a good coaching staff. And like you said, you know, Sully, I think, was only in his, in his second or third year at the time. Uh, you know, he, he was very relatable in the recruiting process, kind of a younger, fiery coach. And I was a, a fiery player myself, and, and I definitely gravitated towards uh, his personality, personality during the recruiting process. And, and it was just an uh, easy sell. At that point, you know, he already had the, you know, mom and dad going there. So, you know, it, it definitely, there was more to it than just, you know, going to play Division One baseball in Florida. You know, there was some history there and I had a bunch of friends and family that, that supported the Gators as well. So it was definitely uh, a dream come true when I committed there. So Coach O'Sullivan kind of had the inside track there. But as someone who's on the opposite side of it now, you've you coached some junior college, you're coaching at USF now. Um, when when you're going through the recruiting process as a coach or talking to recruits, how does how does your experience kind of dial into that? And and when when you're communicating with recruits, what do what do you kind of how do you guide them on what you should value in in a college decision? Because it, it's a very difficult decision to make. Yeah, it is. You know, and I think I tell kids, you know, it's man choosing choosing what college you're going to go to. That's uh, that's one of the top probably three or four you know biggest decisions you'll make you know, in your life outside of, you know, choosing who you're going to marry one day and, and, uh, you know, buying a house and all that stuff. But it's a, it's a big decision and I don't think kids should take it lightly, you know, uh, for me and in my experience, obviously I had, uh, you know, I had some history with the university of Florida. So, you know, I already kind of knew what it was about and what I wanted to do. Um, but when I talk to kids in the recruiting process, I always ask kids, Hey, what's your dream school? You know, do you have a dream school? And, 
if it's not USF, then that's okay, you know. But I just kind of want to see if, if, if there are kids out there, you know, like me that say, hey, coach, I mean, my dream is, is USF or my dream is Florida um, because I think that's cool. You know, I think it's cool for kids to, to grow up and have a dream, and I think that helps me connect and, and get to know a player. And, you know, one thing that I think, uh, you know, kids, kids should definitely look for is that relationship, you know, because – you know, the baseball games will, will come and go as, as I've, you know, come to know and other coaches and players, man, when, when your career is over, it's the relationships that you've built along the way that, that will stay and, and will maintain throughout your life. So that's one thing that, that kind of drove me to get into coaching at this level was because of the relationships. And I think kids should really, really look at that. You know, what kind of relationship are they going to build with their, with their coaches at whatever school they choose? So as you get into high school, right before your senior year, you participate in, in what was then the AFLAC, now the perfect game, All-American game, and yep. then also the Under Armour game in Chicago. That was kind of the early days for the Under Armour game, but what's the experience like taking the bump You know, when every scout in the world is going to be hanging out? Probably the first time you've played in a, in a ballpark where everyone was on a similar talent level. Yeah, it was crazy, man. I mean, it was, it was pretty surreal. You know, and I think, I don't know, and it might have been, you know, the fact that I did play multiple, you know, sports growing up and, you know, we, we had success at a young age with, with kind of the, the little league group that I was a part of there in, in Bartow, Florida, the, the Dixie youth, you know, so we had, we had played on some, on some big stages kind of for that age as I grew up and, but you're right when, when you go to Wrigley Field and, and Petco Park and you're towing it up and, you know, it's, it's the biggest stage that you've been on to that point in, in your career in life. It's uh it can kind of rattle the nerves a little bit, but man, it was fun. I think, you know, I, I had good parents, a good support system that, you know, that told me to just enjoy the moment and have fun. And, you know, Hey, if, if the worst thing that happens, you know, you're, you know, if it doesn't go so well, you're still one of, you know, 32 kids that are participating in this event. And that's something to be, you know, extremely proud of. So, um, I actually gave up a, I gave up a tape measure shot at Wrigley. Um, and then I think by the seventh inning I was singing, uh, I was seeing take me out to the ballpark up there in the booth. So, you know, I just, just enjoying it. And it was cool to meet other kids from across the country. And there's still, you know, like I said, still those relationships that I still have to this day. Do you remember who hit the dinger off you? I do. It was Austin Wilson. Yeah. Oh, that you can't, you can't forget a dinger like that, man. It was Austin Wilson. Uh, you know, he ended up going to, uh, Stanford, he ended up going to Stanford and, uh, I actually got him back. I struck him out in the Cape, uh, you know, four years later. So, um, it's all good. It's always the last day B that matters. That's right. That's the only one that I'm really going to remember and take to the bank for sure. <laughs> so spring of your senior year, you've got, you know, you played in multiple American games. You are a Florida commit. You've got first round buzz with the draft, that decision looming. Is there any downside to being an elite prospect like that? Or was it just all kind of roses spring of your senior year? You know, I think for me, the, the, the draft was sort of, uh, you know, because I had moved to the panhandle after my freshman year. So, you know, really I was a kid. I was kind of a big fish in a small pond up there in Chipley, Florida. Um, you know, not a very big area for baseball. You know, it's not like Tampa or South Florida where, you know, you've got, you know, 10 to 15 kids every year that are, you know, scouts are looking at from the high school side. I mean, you're, you're talking about an area that's, you know, I was playing 1A baseball, and the draft buzz, I think, kind of just popped up on me that summer, you know, and I think there's two sides of it. Obviously, I was really excited about about getting that attention and that opportunity, you know, it it might be an opportunity for me, but I guess kind of the downside was, you know, it was like, man, I, I don't know that I really, you know, want to have to make this tough decision because pitching at Florida was a, a lifelong kind of child, childhood dream for me, so, you know, there was that to consider, but... Um, you know, I, I think, like I said, having having the right parents around, great support system, definitely helped me kind of get through that process. When was the first time you you really started to think about, or at least had to think about, what it's going to take to sign you? When you you really started hearing, hey, these are the dollar amounts that go for you know your kind of talent. Yeah, you know, I think when I pitched uh, the fall the fall of my uh, senior year, I'm sure you're familiar with the event down in Jupiter, perfect game, the wood bat. Uh, that's kind of like the last big event that high school seniors are able to get out in front of scouts on the travel ball circuit before they kind of shut down for the winter. And then, you know, scouts come back out in the spring. So that's, that's really where, you know, 
the day that I pitched down there, you know, it's, it's golf carts lined up from, you know, left field line wrapped around to the right field line and really thinking, okay, Hey, there's probably going to be a tough decision. If I continue to you know develop and, and have a good spring, I'm probably going to have a tough decision. But in terms of dollar amounts, Kyle, I, you know, I think for me, it was just, I was still trying to learn that process, even in the spring, um, with the advisor that I had and, and just trying to educate myself on, you know, pros and cons of going to college. Obviously that's a very intimate decision for every kid and family involved. And, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just a situation that each family kind of handles differently, you know, based on, you know, what's important to them. How often during your senior year did you get an, an unsolicited opinion from someone about what you should do, especially as you got closer to the draft? Like, you should do this, you should sign for this, you should buy this, stuff like that. What do you mean, man? I still get those opinions 10 years <laughs> later, so what are you talking about? Um, no, still, it's, in the, uh, still in the Twitter mentions say, telling you what you should have done when you were 18 years old? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, like I said, you – my parents did a really good job of, of keeping our circle small um, because, you know, there's definitely people that kind of come out of the woodwork that you haven't talked to in, in five or six years that all of a sudden, you know, have, have advice and have things that, you know, they want to tell you, which, you know, I th- I'm sure it was all genuine, but, you know, you just kind of tuned it out. And, you know, I had, like I said, I had had a small circle that, that I trusted. And at the end of the day, I think probably one of the, the greatest things that, that my parents did for me was, you know, definitely uh assured me and let me know that hey this decision's yours and we support you 100 percent. and you know it was something that uh you know that i would make again all over and and, and like i said at the end of the day it's it, every family and, and kid situation is different what was the most surreal moment of the lead up to the draft it, was there anything that sticks out as like this is this is bonkers i can't believe I'm, I'm dealing with this you know looking back i just you know i don't know i think I think probably just that draft, you know, the 2010 draft, kind of looking back in the first round and, and the kids, you know, that were drafted, uh, you know, Harper, Machado, Jamison Tyon, uh, Chris Sale, you know, there's just, and then there's guys that popped up. I think Jacob deGrom went in the ninth round in that, in that draft. So it's, I think looking back, you know, kind of 10 years later, that's pretty surreal. But in the moment, I think you're just, you're kind of just living in the moment. Um, obviously hearing, you know, watching the draft and having a draft party back home and, and hearing your name, you know, with the ninth overall pick, you know, San Diego. And, and so that was, that was a pretty surreal moment to, to get drafted because that's, I think that a lot of kids obviously dream about that and, and have those aspirations. And then when it actually happens, it's like, holy, holy cow, this is real. So you know, probably one of those moments on the day that I did get drafted. What did your conversations been like with the Padres before the draft? Like, did you know they were they were pretty hot on you? A little bit, you know. There was there was a couple teams that were that were extremely interested. So, you know, I, I kind of had a, a pretty good idea of, of you know a range of probably where I was going to go. Um, you know, but you know, we really uh, you know didn't talk too much in depth with, with a ton of teams. I, I met with them. Um, I met with them. They flew flew into the big city of Chipley, I think, probably two weeks before the draft. Their scouting director and assistant GM, which a couple of the other teams did as well. And, you know, so I knew there was about four or five teams that were really, really interested within the first 15 picks. And, you know, it kind of went with, you know, went from there. Walk me through that summer, through the negotiations with the pilot. Was that, is that a time you look back on fondly or is that something you'd rather just, just kind of forget? Um, it was interesting, you know, because, um, you're still trying to weigh a really tough decision, you know, and, and for me at, at 18 years old, there was, you know, there was days where, you know, I was like, man, um, you know, I, I want to go sign and play. And then there was just, there was still this big part of me though, that really wanted to go to Florida and do both. You know, I just, I really wanted to fulfill that, that lifelong, you know, childhood dream. I didn't have a, I didn't have a childhood dream to go play for the Padres. I had a childhood dream to go pitch for Florida to go pitch in the College World Series, you know, it meant a lot to my family to do that. And so, you know, there were times where I wish that I didn't have that decision to make, but ultimately, um, you know, it was one that I did have to make, and I, and I think I made the right one for myself, and uh, the rest is kind of history. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, that summer is kind of blurry, you know, just, you know, 10 years ago, and, you know, just uh, talking, you know, with people, you know, getting advice on, on different things and, and coming up with, a, you know, educated decision. Uh, at the end that 
that was intimate to myself and my family, which is one that you know I wanted to make. What were your conversations like with um, with Coach O'Sullivan during that summer and the you know the Gator staff? And is you you know someone in that position now? I'm sure they're you know their kids signed and are going to be signed to USF that um, that are going to be facing kind of a similar decision. You know, do I do I stay or do I go to you know wind up on campus? What's kind of the responsibility of a coach during that during that summer when a player is going through that? Yeah, I remember. I remember having a conversation with Sully uh, right after the draft. You know, he was he was very excited for me. Um, you know, he 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 congratulated me, and, but you know, he knew. You know, we we had built up a pretty good uh, relationship over the last couple of years, so he he knew that I had strong ties still to UF, and you know, and I was open with him. I said, Sully, I said, I'm you know, I'm excited. It's great. I said, but I, I still you know don't be surprised if I end up in Gainesville here in a couple months, you know, cause back then I think the deadline was like August 15th and classes started like the 18th. So you talk about a, a 48 hour turnaround from not, not uh, deciding to sign to then go to Gainesville and, and get, you know, in your classes and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, we stayed in touch all summer and, you know, they definitely, you know, put some things in front of me from a, you know, just kind of from a development standpoint and, you know, pitching in the SEC, having success, you know, what that could do long term and, you know, getting a degree from Florida and all that stuff. So it, it was things that I sort of already knew, but they, they sort of opened my eyes to some other things and it just it helped solidify my decision. What was the last week like heading up to the signing deadline? Uh, pretty, pretty nerve wracking. Um, you know, just just like I said, just taking that summer to really think about what I wanted to do. And, um you know, I, 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 there was definitely a specific moment, probably three or four days, uh, you know, before the signing deadline where I kind of knew, I, I knew in my heart what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, that was, you know, go to Gainesville and, and pursue a career at Florida. What was the backlash like, or was there backlash? You know, you, we mentioned the, the unsolicited advice, but you know, was there, you know, negative response from friends, any family, um, or just noise you heard from other people, you know, Twitter back then wasn't quite what it was now. I'm not even sure right. you were on Twitter back then, but what, you know, was there, was there any sort of negativity that you had to deal with, with, you know, cause the, I guess the common person, the person who's not in your shoes, the person who, you know, didn't have, you know, $2 million on the table would naturally say, give me the 2 million, but that's someone without your motivations, without, um, you know, without a lifelong dream of going to Florida. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy, man. Like like you said, I I wasn't on Twitter uh, that time. Uh, Facebook, I think I had just gotten on Facebook that year, and uh, it was weird, man. I, I got you know a lot of like weird messages uh, from from different people on Facebook. You know, so most of them weren't weren't too friendly, uh, which was kind of weird to deal with. You know, at eighteen years old, but um, ultimately, you know, the environment that I was in at Florida, you know, those guys were like, hell yeah, let's go. You know, we're about to go to Omaha and make some, make some stuff happen. So, you know, that kind of that bubble and, and my family, friends, I, you know, I'm sure it probably uh, shocked a few people, um, you know, family, but I tell you what, man, I've been blessed with a good family and, and my, my teammates at Florida were great. You know, they, uh, they, they welcomed me and, and it was just another guy to the team that was going to help us win. And, and that's kind of how I took it as well. I knew that I still had to go in and prove myself and, and kind of earn trust in my teammates. And, you know, I, I'd say we had, had some success there in, in the four years I was there. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, that, that had questions that, you know, had their opinions. But, you know, that's ultimately that's a decision that's, uh, you know, it's it's special for each each kid and family that's involved. So you get to, um, you know, you get to campus. You step on campus as the highest drafted guy to make it back to campus in college baseball that year. Barrett Lou also hadn't signed, but he didn't go back to school. Um, right. D- Dylan Covey also didn't sign, but he was drafted a few picks after you. Uh, you're, you're stepping into a team that, that's already loaded. So you're a first-round pick, but they've got Brian Johnson, and Anthony Desclafini, Hudson Randall, Jonathan Crawford's in your freshman class. So, you know, what are the ex- expectations that you had for yourself as far as playing time and role? Like, you're the first-round pick, but this team is, is already coming off an Omaha run. Yeah, and then they were returning all three weekend starters, too. Um, I think uh, Alex Pantiliotis was 11-2 and the year before. You know, so you had Brian Johnson, Alex Pantiliotis, and Hudson Randall returning uh, from a weekend rotation standpoint. You know, I, I just I, – I had goals for myself personally, um, but I knew – I was pretty mature. Um, I think that was one thing that, that scouts really liked about me kind of through the process was my maturity, my poise on the mound. You know, I, I was very confident in who I was as a pitcher. Um, and when I got to Florida, 
man, I was just, I told myself that I was going to earn a weekend spot, you know, as a freshman. And I didn't care how I was going to make that happen. But, um, you know, just went to work, uh, showed my teammates that I was about, you know, coming in early and working hard. And, you know, I didn't want to really talk or hear about the first round stuff. I'm, I just wanted to be another guy that, that earned everything that, that was given to him along the way. And, you know, went in there and actually had a pretty bad fall. You know, that, that freshman fall, I had to learn that uh, the things that I did in high school, I wasn't going to be able to to get away with facing uh, hitters in the SEC, especially the ones that we had at Florida. So I made a few adjustments along the way, uh, took some coaching, and, and that preseason, man, I think I was one of the better guys we had in preseason. I came throwing the ball really, really well and ended up earning earning that Sunday spot as a true freshman and, and made 19 starts that year. What are the toughest aspects of that the competition jump? Like the obvious answer is guys are just more talented. But where does that play out? What's the biggest difference and what makes your life harder on the mound from high school to college ball? Well, I think just dealing with failure, you know, processing, processing the moments where you really get it handed to you because it's going to happen. You know, my the competition that I faced in high school was not very good. You know, I just small town. You know, we played a couple good teams here or there, but I, I didn't really I wasn't challenged much. And then when you get to Florida, it's like you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're getting challenged every single day. Even the guys that aren't probably going to be starters in your lineup, those guys are still pretty good. You know, they could go start for a lot of really good teams. So, you know, just just processing that failure, understanding that, uh, you know, you have to be able to just get back on the horse and, and get after it and, you know, have that confidence. You know, don't ever lose that confidence, uh, that, that, that self-belief in yourself and, that's one thing that I was really good about. So, you know, like I said, the, the times that I struggled in my freshman fall, I was able just to keep grinding and, and keep pitching and keep working on things. And I kind of had a had a, a big picture, you know, mindset. And that's what kind of kept me going every day. You know, even now, some of the, the kids that, that I'm coaching now at USF and just, you know, I'm sure this kind of happens all around the country. You know, the guys that have success early, it's not necessarily so much about the stuff. It's just about the consistency and approach and just who they are day to day and, and not changing a whole lot just because things don't go your way. You know, obviously kids, kids kind of get, you know, punched in the mouth early as freshmen because they haven't, they haven't had to deal with failure before. So that's one thing that you hope kids can jump that hurdle quicker than others. And for me, it was, it was one that I was able to get over pretty easily. Was there a specific kind of welcome to college moment? Like, uh, this isn't 1A ball anymore, anything, any specific punch in the mouth during that fall? Um, I tell you what, man, probably more than anything, it was the weight room for me. You know, that was, that was where I really, uh, you know, I really developed myself, you know, kind of as a player and, and, and just really my mental toughness. The weight room was huge, you know, because we didn't have a very structured, you know, workout plan in high school. And so when I got to Florida, I mean, you're in the SEC, you, you turn on a game now in, in the SEC, those kids just look a little bit different, you know, they're, 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 they're put together. So, um, that, that was big for me kind of, Hey, welcome to college. You know, I, I think the first, like, uh, I remember saying in another interview with somebody, you know, the, the first two weeks, it was hard getting out of bed every day for class. Cause I, I could hardly walk, man. I was getting it handed to me in the weight room. But, you know, sticking through the process, kind of getting over that hurdle, getting my legs underneath me, and then just the competition. I mean, the, probably the best motivator for me when I got to Florida was knowing that there's there's 10, 11 guys that will take, take your spot at any time. So that was huge for me, you know, because you knew that if, if you let up or if at any point you thought, okay, hey, I got a spot – that that could change very quickly in an environment like Florida. You mentioned the the taking the spot thing. When I remember when I was in school, uh, when I, you know playing with with older guys, and when you're an older guy, you kind of eye the freshmen early. You want to be accommodating. They're going to be your teammates. You're going to be around these guys whether you like them or not. But like you don't want to cede any ground to the new kids right away. Like they're right. gun, they're gunning for the same job you are, and especially with. I guess the target on your back of you are the first round pick. You are the the guy who, you know, if if I was a, a you know, a Florida senior and I hadn't met you, I would assume that this kid is coming in assuming he's going to have my job. How do you bridge the divide when you and all, you know, you and Jonathan Crawford there to take a job too? How do you, you know, how do you you bridge that gap and how does how does team chemistry come into play there, especially a team that that has has larger goals. It's more important than any one guy. Absolutely. They, uh, I tell you what, man, those, those older guys were tough on me at first, you know, it was, uh, and, and I think rightfully so, like you just said, right? Like, I think, I think they were, they were my teammates, but I still think there was a handful of guys that were like, what is this kid doing here? Like he should not be here, you know? And 
definitely, you know, I think there was there was just some jealousy. Um, and, you know, I think really the moment that I kind of won those guys over was just kind of how I went about my work every day. Um, I, I kind of led by example. You know, that was kind of how I didn't need to do a lot of talking. Um, there was other teammates in my career at Florida. Um, as I was older, now kind of the older guy where freshmen would come in and they're talking about their perfect game ranking, how hard they throw this and that. And those kids usually have a pretty tough freshman year in terms of getting them to understand what's really important. For me, I, I just kind of I kind of kept my mouth shut. I put my head down. I worked hard. Uh, my roommate in Florida, uh, well, at Florida all four years, uh, Keenan Kish, him and I were, were very much alike and, and kind of we were just very uh, internally motivated. We, were, we, we wanted to achieve things there at Florida together, so it was nice to have him, you know, kind of just your roommate that you could go to work with every day, and, and we both had the same goals in mind. So, yeah, I think I kind of just earned, earned their trust and kind of earned the respect by just how I went about my business. And then once, uh, once the lights came on in the spring, um, you know, and, and we kind of did what we did, you know, I think that was, it was history from there. You pitched in tough environments, you know, as an amateur, the foreign countries with Team USA, the All-American Games like we talked about earlier. What are the nerves like starting a game in the SEC, specifically starting your first game in the SEC? Yeah, I definitely think there's there's a little bit of nerves there, you know, for sure. My first start in the SEC was at LSU in Box Stadium, you know, so there's, you know, 10,000 people. Welcome to the SEC, kid. And, you know, I, I mean, I was just so – I was super excited. You know, I just – I kind of have that drive, you know, that that competitive nature to me. So I was ready for that challenge. Um, usually for those big games, I was able to kind of channel that, ner- that that nervousness, anxiousness. You're, you're just ready to get out and play. I was able to, to channel that into a positive energy. And, and really just when I crossed those lines, man, it was it was game on. And I was just going to leave it all out on the field. And, and when the dust settles, kind of see where we were at. But, yeah, definitely nerves, man. You, you talk about, you know, giving up, you know, giving up a few hits and, and getting in a tough situation. Now the fans are getting on you and. That, that strike zone seems to get a little tighter in those situations and you really start to find out kind of what you're made of. So, man, those are definitely moments that I miss for sure. How long does it take to feel like, you, you, like you're going to be a guy? Like you're not th- – there's always that testing the water of I don't know how this is going to go. You know, am I going to live up to this stuff? H- how long did it take into your freshman year to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm a dude on this team. I'm going to contribute and I'm going to you know, end up having a really good year. Yeah, I think um, you know, I think I, I built up some confidence kind of early in, in, in the early in the season before we got into our SEC schedule. You know, playing my the Miamis of the world, Florida States. Um, you know, we had some out of conference opponents that were some mid majors. You know, some northern schools where, you know, you pitch well, but you still felt okay. Hey, there was a couple guys in the lineup that were challenging, but outside of you know two or three guys, you know, the other guys were, you know, you could kind of just go at them with, with, you know, your fastball. And if you missed over the plate, you didn't get hurt. I think once you got into the SEC as a freshman for me, um, and this is probably relatable for, for any player, um, once you get in a conference play, man, that's kind of really where you start to make your money in conference when you talk about winning championships and, and making regionals. So probably after that, you know, those first couple of SEC starts where, you know, I, I pitched well, but then there were starts where I didn't have my best stuff and I still was able to figure it out kind of on the fly. That's where you really start to tell yourself, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be fine. Like I'm, I know I don't have my best stuff today, but I'm still able to help our team win. You know, it's only a matter of time before I piece it all together and then I feel really confident in what that's going to look like. When it comes to the run up to Omaha, you were a freshman. It's your first time through the postseason shoot. But the you know the old adage on TV, it's the go-to for every broadcaster. Oh, this is a veteran team. This team's That's been right. there before. You know they're you know experienced. How much does team leadership and guys having been there matter? Where does that aspect really come through? And that goes through you know every aspect of the postseason, whether it's the SEC tournament, regional, super regionals, all the way to you know to Omaha. You know, I think it's I think there's just a chemistry aspect to it, man, of, of having really competitive guys that are very confident in themselves, you know, and we we had a lot of those guys all over the field, you know, and we were still young. Even my freshman year, that two thousand eleven team, we were still a young team. Now you had a you had a lot of freshmen the year before that went to Omaha, the Nolan Fontanas, Brian Johnsons, Mike Zaninos, those guys were all freshmen. 
And uh, so now they're sophomores. Now we're freshmen, still a very young team. You know, you do still have some some older leadership, but our, our best players were, were sophomores and freshmen. And uh, that was fun. You know, that was fun knowing that, you know, hey, we're going to make this run and then we're going to come back next year and, and hopefully make another one. But I just think I just think we were super confident, man. You know, we won a lot of games and and, uh, you know, the 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 competitive atmosphere that we had in practice sort of just just, you know, it created a culture within our, our clubhouse that, you know, we were just super confident in whoever we, we played that we were going to win. And um, we expected to win. So, you know, and, and that that sort of, you know, showed on the field when we played and. It just seems like every close game we were in, we, we found a way. And as you do that throughout a season, when you get into the postseason, man, having that, that experience and that confidence is definitely huge because you, you've been there before. You mentioned chemistry. It's something that that me and my college teammates will always kind of debate about, talk about. I was on five college, college teams. I was a team I redshirted, then four years. And some of the college teams I was on are still, we're all still great friends. We all still hang out. It's, you know, really, really tight bonded teams. There are other teams that I was on. If you lock every single one of those guys in a room, there's going to be a murder. Mm -hmm. As someone who, you know, played four years at Florida, was on four teams, and has now coached through a bunch of college teams, is chemistry something you can manufacture? That it, is it a, an environment thing, or is it you just got to get lucky and bring the and recruit the right guys? You know, I think I think when you when you have a, a special culture, I think your clubhouse really starts to police certain things. You know, and, and there's an expectation around the program that guys believe in and expect from other guys. You know, we we didn't get along all the time. You know, I, I tell you, I, there's instances where you know we shut the doors in our clubhouse and, and we we had some you know come to Jesus moments with each other and, and different teammates had to hash things out and. You know, the one thing that was good about our groups at Florida is guys weren't scared to to get on other guys, you know, and that's at the end of the day, we all had a common goal of what we wanted to achieve. But you had the right leadership where certain guys weren't worried about being your friend. And that's one thing that I learned as a young as a freshman. I watched how those guys sort of led by example and, you know, just by things they would say to where I, I knew how to nurture, but then also to give guys kind of the facts and, and push guys in the right way when I was an older guy. So, and I think that just gets passed down, you know, and I think teams with good culture that gets passed down from year to year to year. And that's, I think how, how programs are able to sustain, you know, winning, you know, winning traditions. What's the Omaha experience like? Like playing lands, how different is that from a, a usual college baseball road trip? Because you guys had spent the last month at home as well. Yeah, the Omaha experience is, is unbelievable. It's one that I hope I can get to as a coach one day. Um, it's just it's special, man. I mean, it's it's the pinnacle of college baseball on all divisions across the board. You know, Omaha is such a great uh, a host city for that, you know, for the College World Series. There's so much history there. You know, you grow up watching it on TV. Um, you know, I actually missed it by a year. Um, my year that we went in 2011 was the first year in TD Ameritrade, so – I mean, you're basically playing in a big league ballpark, and you know uh, there's 28, 30,000 people. I think the the two games that I pitched in in Omaha, the first game against Vanderbilt, there was 28,000 people, and then the second game there was 30 for the championship game. So it's just it's awesome, man. Um, it, it gives you feelings that you really can't put into words or you know really feel again from a baseball standpoint. You know, you you get drafted. You know, you win an SEC championship. You know, you win the SEC tournament. And those feelings are great. And then, then you go to Omaha and you start to get on a little run in Omaha. And that's just, it's just a different feeling. So yeah, man, it's like I said, it's one that I hope, uh, I hope I can get again, you know, as a coach. What's the, the day to day in Omaha like, because postseason, especially college baseball is so interesting. It's so, it's so different than the season because the season you wait around, you have your three weekend games, you can cram everything into that. And, you know, you got the midweek to kind of, you know, figure things out, get guys innings, whatever. With Omaha, it's, I mean, especially with the rain situation there, you know, you might be playing on, you know, sometimes back-to-back -back days if you have to finish a game or it, it's just a kind of a weird situation. What's the, how do you, how do you stay in routine when you're thrown out of routine? Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's definitely some downtime, you know, but, you know, you've got the opening ceremonies that, that that's a pretty cool deal there. Uh, all the teams obviously take part in that and, you know, how the schedule's laid out. Um, I don't know if it's different now, but 
you know, you're in your pods of four, uh, you know, each side and you kind of play it out from each side. And, you know, it's different because you, you're, you're playing in a neutral site, right? So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a Coliseum, man. Like you're going into battle in this Coliseum of all these fans and you almost have, uh, like that, uh, uh, the gladiator kind of feeling to it, you know, you play, you battle it out and then you leave and then two new teams come in, they battle it out and then they leave. So, uh, but the fans stay the whole time, you know, they're there all day just cheering on for, for whichever team they're there for. So, um, it's cool though. You know, I think to be able to have some downtime just to kind of take it all in and enjoy it, you know, cause at the end of the day, man, you're still, you're still an 18, 19 year old kid. So you're there, you know, you're there with some of your best friends and, get to go to different places in Omaha. Um, you know, there's, I think that there's organizations within the city that host each team. So, you know, one year, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Navy base there in Omaha was our host and they took us out there and we got to do some cool stuff, um, on the Navy or on the air force base. I'm sorry, air force base. And then, uh, the next year, I think like the local rotary club, uh, hosted us and we were on the river doing some cool stuff there. So, just some different activities to do to kind of take your mind off of, you know, what's at stake, but definitely, um, you know, seeing the stadium every day, you know, most of the hotels are right around the stadium. So if you walk outside to go grab something to eat, you know, there might be two teams playing and you can kind of hear the sounds from the stadium. You know, that's always kind of cool too. You mentioned you got the ball twice while you're in Omaha, but you, you get it against the team you'd started against barely a month prior in Vanderbilt. And then your second yep. start was against South Carolina, another team that you had faced. What goes, is there an advantage? Did you feel good about that as to having seen them before? Was it kind of worrying to you as like, oh, they've already seen my stuff? Not necessarily. You know, I think there was, uh, you know, it was weird, man, because you're right. We always played. It's like I think that year there was three or four SEC teams, you know, that were in Omaha. So it was like, man, you know, we keep playing the same guys over and over. But, you know, it, it is what it is. You're, you're playing the best teams at that moment. And you're familiar with certain guys in their lineup. So that's good, you know, from a scouting report, you know, uh, point of view. Um, we didn't have, like – some of the things that are available to us now as a college coach, I didn't have as a player. Um, so, you know, just having, you know, having a, a team that you've pitched against for me, um, you know, I, I treated it like any other start, you know, I, I don't think that it helped or hurt, hurt me in, in any way. Um, you know, just, it was, it was just another team for me. And I just wanted to go out there and try to, you know, give my, give my team the best chance to win. So, um, you guys end up, you run into that South Carolina buzzsaw, uh, the, their, the second of their back to back. Um, but you, you finish your freshman all American finish up, you know, fulfill pretty much every single bit of, of expectation that you were supposed to have going into your freshman year of college. Um, get back on campus. When did you you first start to have arm problems or start to to feel any sort of you know any sort of discomfort? Yeah, it was uh, it was this, my sophomore year. Um, you know, I, I pulled my groin in the fall of uh, of my sophomore year, so I, I had missed a little bit of time, probably like four weeks. You know, just to really let that thing heal. Uh, came back and ended up throwing the ball well. And then um, when I came back from Christmas break. Uh, my sophomore year, I felt, had a little bit of, uh, sensation, you know, feeling in my forearm, elbow area, you know, uncharted territories for me. I, you know, had never even had an ankle sprain, even in basketball. So, you know, I had never been hurt, thought I was, you know, this superhero kid that was never gonna, you know, have to deal with any injuries. But, um, yeah, you know, just, had some had some issues there with the and ultimately it was my forearm it was a flexor flexor pronator uh, tendonitis um, you know and so now you're dealing with an injury for the first time kind of in the middle of the season uh, is when it popped up or well, early in the season and I'm and I'm struggling now because I know probably what's best for me long term is to probably just shut it down and get it right for the rest even if that means missing the rest of the year. But then also there's that competitor inside you that says, well, just give me three weeks. Let's let it just get, let's let it get good enough. And then if I can come back and help this team, I'm going to pitch. So I was going to fall on that side of the fence because that's just who I was. And, um, you know, I knew my teammates wanted me to be out there. I, I wanted to be out there. Uh, but that's really when kind of I started to, to go down that path of these lingering arm issues that, uh, you know, that, that kind of started there early in my sophomore year. In retrospect, do you wish you would have dialed it back a little bit? Probably so. Probably so. Absolutely. You know, and it's tough because like I said, you're, you know, 
you're you have certain people that are involved with the program obviously mm-hmm. you know your your uh you know your coach wants you to pitch you know and I wanted to pitch and and we did take some time off but you know looking back I think long term would it have made a difference I don't know maybe you know it, it probably would have to some degree but you know I I still pitch man I still had some good outings yeah I had some had some rough ones that you know I, I definitely got beat not having my best stuff but I enjoyed being out there and I enjoyed competing. And as long as I wasn't going to, you know, really tear something or hurt something, you know, in, in the moment, I was going to go out there and try to compete, even if it was, you know, at 70, 85%. You'll make it back to Omaha again. You run into to Omaha God, Michael Roth again. And then, yeah. uh, and then Kent State, which like I had, compl- I'm a big college baseball fan. I had completely forgotten Kent State made it to the College World Series. What a, what a mm-hmm. sport. Yep. Just wild. Uh, is there anything about Omaha you can enjoy a little more when you're there a second time? So like something that makes it easier, you know, easier to appreciate going through it a second time? Yeah, I think uh, just just everything about it, man. I think when you're there, when you're there your first time, I think you, you feel like it, you wake up one morning and it goes by so fast, you know, because there's there's these bright lights, there's, you know, new things going on, you've got open ceremonies you know it's like everywhere you turn around the corner there's something that's just new and different that you haven't seen before and you know the press is great out there the fans you know it's it's kind of overwhelming a little bit and then your second time I think you really just get to you really get to enjoy you know really what it's about man and just the eight the eight best teams in college baseball um you know going at it um you know for a national championship and yeah, I think I think on that second time, there's there's a, a calmness to it, you know, kind of an expectation for sure of, of what you're getting yourself into. You pitch a little in the Cape, and then um, colleges aren't always as forthcoming with injuries as professional teens. But when did you yourself know that you weren't going to be pitching in the 2013 college season? So I uh, I had surgery, I had surgery on February 13th of 2013. And our season started February 14th. So I knew that I wasn't going to pitch that season probably a week before. Man, and I did everything I could. You know, we we rehabbed. We did some different things in the fall. I got a PRP injection. You know, just did, did everything that I could. And literally right up until the season, um, just basically, th- you know, throwing to the point where I was, you know, in tears. But I really wanted it. I was hoping that I was going to turn a corner you know, in the rehab process there. And it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And I, and I kind of leaned on the experience that I had the season before I told myself that I'm never going to pitch again, unless hopefully I'm close as close to a hundred percent as I can or pain free. And I just wasn't there. I, I wasn't there. So yeah, probably a week before our season started is when, um, you know, we set up all everything that, that needed to be done. Actually, I, I went, uh, back home or closer to home, I went to Pensacola and Dr. Andrews did my surgery. So uh, that's that's kind of when you know I knew that that I wasn't you know wasn't going to be on the mound for the Gators that year. Where was your head at at that point? Uh, with you know probably the you know the first year of baseball you've you've missed since you started playing baseball, and also that's your you know your draft eligible year. Yeah, it was tough, man. I mean, it was it was uh, pretty pretty heart wrenching. You know, um, at, you know you're. Not that I paid a whole lot of attention to it, but, you know, Baseball America and Perfect Game, you know, every year they do their, their, their top prospects for each class. And, you know, shoot, I'm, I'm projected to be the first overall pick in that year. You know, obviously, if, if I'm healthy and, and doing my thing, I think that that's probably extremely realistic. And so you talk about thinking, you know, going to bed at night, you know, maybe thinking about those situations coming true. And then to now all of a sudden you wake up and you, you, you can't feel your right arm because you, you just had some shoulder surgery and you, you've got 12 months ahead of you that you got to get, you know, climb this mountain of rehab to hopefully get back to that point you were before. So it was tough, man. It was really tough. Um, you know, the good thing about it is I told myself that I was not going to be away from, from the team. You know, I just as bad as it hurt to not be out there, I told myself that I was going to find a way to stay in it, to bring some value to that 2013 team somehow to still fill that void. So after I had surgery, I think I was back in Gainesville probably, you know, four or five days after surgery and I was in the dugout, um, you know, in, in full uniform probably for that second, second weekend series. And 
I just I kept the pitching chart every year and tried to pick pitches and do stuff. And I actually I kept such a good chart. Slowly uh, traveled me every SEC road road series. He put me on the travel roster, which is what I tell I tell all of our pitchers every year. I said I got this is a true story, guys. I said this this chart that you guys are keeping. This is how important it is to Soli, and this is how important it is to me. So um, it, it was cool though. So I was still able to kind of bring some value there and. You know that definitely helped me throughout that process. Yeah, that was me during my younger days. I was uh, I was the, I was the kid who kept the chart. I wasn't hurt. I was just bad, but um, <laughs> it kept me around. But I mean, that, guy, um, that guy's important, man. That you got to have the chart guy. Uh, I've, I've been keeping teaching my kid how to keep the book this year. But for sure, with that injury, I mean, honest question here: Did you think about the you know did the 2010 draft at all cross your mind? No, not not not. Uh, not once, man. It, it really didn't. You know, I, I knew, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. You know, and I think, uh, you know, I think either way, I, I told myself, I said, hey, this this was probably going to happen either way. So whether I'm, you know, in extended spring training, you know, working my way through this rehab process, or I'm here in Gainesville, I think this is probably something that was inevitable. Um, and but no, I, I, you know, and it's kind of weird. I tell people this all the time. Once once I kind of got through. The, those first couple months after making that decision and going to Florida and now I was in school and taking classes and I was just one of the other guys, man, I really didn't think about it a whole lot, to be honest with you, man. I was just so focused on moving forward and being as good as I could be for, for Florida and that university. And then I just told myself, hey, I'm, I'm going to have an opportunity to chase this dream after I do some pretty cool things here at Florida. And I just, you know, that's that's kind of what I what I uh, hung my hat on every night. The Nats took a flyer on you in that year's draft in the thirty seventh round. Did that go anywhere? Was there any chance you didn't return to Florida? No, um, you know, there were some talks with some other teams about uh, signing. Uh, you know, for you know, tr- you know, signing, and and I, I was going to go out and and potentially throw some bullpens for some teams but it just kind of got to a point where I, I felt like there was some un, unfinished business at Florida you know what that, that 2013 team that we had I think we were one game above 500 uh, went to a regional didn't play very well and just the competitor in me still I knew I could come back I could get my degree and leave Florida you know with degree in hand you know with hopefully you know hopefully still chasing you know uh, you know that that national championship for Florida and then, you know, get into Pro Bowl and, and, and pursue that. So, you know, there, there were some things that were kind of happening behind the scenes, but it wasn't wasn't anything that, that really materialized into something that was going to keep me from coming back and, and, and finishing up what I started at UF. So when you think about that last season at, at Florida, walk me, walk me through that year. Where kind of, you know, you're starting in the rotation, you move to the bullpen, you know, where were you in your mind stuff wise compared to where you were freshman year? Yeah. So it was weird, man. I, I was definitely, uh, kind of had to, had to, uh, reinvent myself a little bit as a pitcher, right? You know, the, the shoulder's tough, man. Shoulder is, is weird for every pitcher. You know, some guys, it, depending on the procedure that you have, it just takes a while, man, and, and they tell you, hey, you'll be back at 12 months. Well, really what that means is you'll be back pitching in competition in 12 months, which I was, but it took me really 13, 14 months to get back to myself to where you get the confidence from getting guys out at that level again. You know, you you get the feel back of your pitches. It's it's a little bit longer, for me at least, than, than the 12-month mark. So, yeah, I, I started that year in, in the rotation, and kind of had some ups and downs. I was, you know, battling some things that, that uh, a lot of guys would battle early on. And if I was in a pro ball setting, I, you know, you're probably in extended spring training working through those things. And then once you kind of get settled in and feel comfortable, then, you know, get sent off to a, you know, to an affiliate team. So for me, I was still kind of in spring training mode, if that makes sense, in terms of where I was at with my stuff, how I was feeling, but I'm, I'm trying to get SEC hitters out. So it, it was tough. And, um, you know, I, I was I was frustrated a little bit personally because I wish that that I would have been still given at least other opportunities to build that up because I knew that if I could get myself back to where I was, that I was going to be an asset for us, you know, on the back stretch of the season. And, you know, I kind of got put on the shelf there uh, midway through the season. I think there was a stretch of like two or three weeks where I didn't pitch a whole lot. Um you know, was kind of like the guy that, you know, some teammates and coaches avoided because there was like the elephant in the room, like, all right, like Woodson's not 
really back, but you know, so it was kind of weird. And in those moments, man, I really just told myself, I said, Hey, I'm doing this for myself now. Like I'm going to get myself right. I'm going to finish this thing on a, on a strong note and, you know, and then, you know, we'll, we'll make the best of any opportunity I get after this. But, and I, and I was really, that's probably the proudest thing that I am of myself of the four years that I was at Florida staying mentally in it that last year I was there kind of getting pushed to the wayside and still being able to answer the bell in the SEC tournament when I was literally the last pitcher that hadn't pitched yet like I was the last guy I started that game by default not because Sully was saving me to pitch against LSU in the championship game I was just the last guy that hadn't pitched yet uh, because there was probably no confidence there but the one I can tell you the one person that was that had confidence was me and myself and I was able to go out there man and freaking pitch a hell of a game against LSU and that was my last college start and it it was kind of one of those moments it was my first SEC start as a true freshman and then it was my last and that was kind of special to me kind of one of those signs that you're like you know what this was meant to be but yeah man I I pitched a hell of a game and you know we ended up losing the game but for that to be uh, my last college start is something that I'll be proud of because there was a lot of a lot of things mentally that I had to kind of fight through leading up to that, and that's one that's a, that's one thing that I am able to communicate and relate to our guys now, man. You just you never know when you're going to get that opportunity, so you got to stay ready for it. You get uh, you get taken by the Red Sox in the eleventh round. You this time around you sign with everything you'd been through at Florida and how your you know how your last year went and how you were feeling health wise how much how much optimism did you have about your future as a professional baseball player man i tell you i was super super optimistic man i i just i told myself man if i can stay healthy just with the things that i dealt with at florida you know mentally you know different adversities that i had to overcome I had no doubt in my mind that if I could stay healthy and string together some seasons of just being consistent, um, you know, because I, I firmly believe the separator in pro ball is, is definitely the, the, the mental side, you know, and, and just being available, being consistent. But if you have it between the ears, man, that's that's all the guys in the big leagues, right? There's there's a ton of guys in the minor leagues with big league stuff that just can't quite figure it out. And I think a lot of that is just the mental side of it. So. I, I was super optimistic, and I was very excited to be with the Red Sox. Uh, great organization, uh, great coaches, great you know, great staff, and uh, yeah, I just man, I was I was ready just to to go out and pitch and, and you know be in a in a fresh new environment and you know get those opportunities. But yeah, I was I, I every night I went to sleep. I told myself, hey, I'm I'm going to be in the big league soon. I just got to stay healthy and, and put together you know a couple good seasons, and it'll and it'll happen. So going off your baseball reference page, your pro career is is four games for shorts in short season little. Mm-hmm. How long did things actually go as a professional baseball? How long did you keep trying to to get healthy and get back before yeah. you decided that this just wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, four games. Yeah, that was. Uh, so that season, that 2014 rookie season in Lowell, I pitched. I, I pitched early, um, had, uh, had, had the shoulder flare up a little bit, so I missed like six weeks, and then I pitched on the back end. Um, and then I went to an instructional league there in the fall of 14, and I had one of the better instructional leagues of guys that we had. I think I pitched 15 scoreless innings. Um, the ball was coming out really good. I, I, I was pitching against some guys. You know, I mean, there's a handful of guys now that are in the big leagues that are having success, and I was building that confidence back. And then I get back to spring training at 15, and I just just one of those things, man. I just I couldn't. I had it had another arm injury, and um, I was in extended spring that whole summer. I was rehabbing. I pitched in a few rehab stints, um, you know, kind of off that you wouldn't see on stats, but pitching on some backfield games that they would call it uh, to try to you know get the get the mojo back and get feeling good. Um, just qu- couldn't quite put it together. Came back to spring training again in 16. Uh, dealing with similar issues and uh, ultimately, you know, uh, got got released there in 16. And I went back to Dr. Andrews, had a second opinion done. He said, hey, I I could go in and and do some things and hopefully give you some relief. So I told myself I only got one chance to to do this and went ahead and had a second shoulder procedure there uh, probably in April of 16, which was another 12-month deal. Came back uh, a year later, spring of 17, you know, hoping to do some workouts, had some teams interested that, you know, I could go throw some bullpens for and sign a free agent deal with, but just, you know, just couldn't, 
couldn't get to that point where I was going to be pain free. And that's really all I was chasing. If, if I could get pain free, then I, I was still optimistic, man. Even at, even at that time, I was still optimistic in my ability and, and believed in myself so much that I told myself, if I can just get myself pain free, I think I can still make something, you know, out of this. And unfortunately, I just couldn't get to that point. So that's when uh, when I decided that I was going to move on to the next next chapter in my life. Was coaching always what you wanted to do whenever you were done playing, whether that be when you're, you know, 23 or 40? Yeah, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, 2016 and 17 year, I was I was in the training room. Obviously, I was in the training room for two years rehabbing. And with that comes a lot of downtime. And, you know, you really start to kind of think and, and you know, kind of set yourself up for for plan B, I guess, you know, plan A was to, was to pitch in the big leagues for, for 10 years and, and retire mom and dad and, and build, you know, build a nice house for all of us. But, you know, it doesn't happen for everyone. So, you know, plan B was now, okay, I still want to be involved in the game, man. I, I've met some really cool people along the way. Um, I've got a really cool story to tell, you know, kids and, and families and other, other people in baseball. And I just, I, I felt like the experiences that I've had as a player all the way back from, you know, earlier in this in this uh, conversation, the Aflac games, you know, going overseas to Venezuela and, play, and, and playing for my country and winning a gold medal, to being drafted, going to Florida to pitch into Omaha, man, this career that I've put together, I just felt like I, this is a career that I now have to give back to kids, to give back these experiences to help kids fulfill their dreams. That's just what drew me into coaching. Uh, to be in a position to help someone else achieve their goals and dreams was was really cool for me, and so yeah, that's that's uh, you know that definitely piqued my interest. Probably you know throughout that whole rehab process when I kind of knew okay if if this doesn't work out you know what am I going to do next? As a coach, first at junior college, now with USF, as well as you know your time with um, coaching it with USA Baseball. When you talk to kids who are in a similar position as you were, at least draftable kids, you know you were. You know, you left on on the surface, you left a couple million dollars on the table. You traded it for two trips to Omaha, a college degree, um, some money from the Red Sox. What advice do you give? How do you sell the college route or at least bring perspective beyond the dollars? Because I think, and especially like for fans and for someone in my position who no one has given ever offered me a dollar to play baseball, it's hard to look sometimes beyond just the 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 money aspect and like the you know as opposed to everything that goes with that whether it be the conflicting lifestyles and stuff how do you how do you sell the college route how do you present those options to to kids because i'm sure you get kids at usf who are in a similar position yeah for sure i mean there's kids you know if we're uh if we're doing you know doing our job here at usf you know we're, we're recruiting kids that hopefully you know have the draft interest and have have that decision to make and you know i Kyle, I don't think it's ultimately, it's not me selling college. College was right for me because that's just who I was. That's who my family was. That's, you know, the going back to Florida and, and my parents, that's, that's who I was. Um, I can tell you that college definitely, definitely shaped me. And when I, when I did get into pro ball, man, I was ready. I was ready to do a lot of things on my own um, that maybe I wasn't wasn't so sure about, you know, at 17, 18 years old coming out of high school. Um, just just the maturity that came with being in college for four years and, and those relationships. But, you know, just the just the, the coolness aspect of just pitching in the SEC and, and going to Omaha, man. The, the, I mean, you can't, for me, you can't put a price tag on that, you know. And, and I know that there's not every kid in the country has that decision. Some kids may have a similar decision but maybe they're not committed to that sec school where that lure of pitching in the sec is not there you know for me it was so it was a tough decision um i can tell you there was there was a handful of guys when i got into the red sox organization man you know there was guys that that knew my story and you know a lot of them were very very envious and they were like man good for you for for doing both you know because you, you i had teammates that were committed to those big schools you know texas arkansas mississippi state and you know, for them, hey, for them, the, the decision was for them to sign out of high school and take the money. But they were definitely envious of, of having that opportunity to fulfill that college dream and then still, you know, chase the professional one. So, um, you know, it's like I said, man, every kid is different. Every family situation is different. But college is great. You know, if, if you looked at if you look at the opening rosters, uh, opening day rosters this year in the big leagues, I think 44 percent were from college. So, 
I think there's something to be said for the guys that are able to to go to college and you know obviously the 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 baseball part kind of takes care of itself in terms of what you do on the field and how scouts are going to look at you now if if you have success but I think the things that kind of go unnoticed are, are what happens in the clubhouse you know with your teammates in the classroom in the weight room things that you know things that really really develop you as a person are things that you'll cherish you know long after your time at uh you know after college i got a quick rapid fire for you and then i'll let you get out of here let's do it favorite sec ballpark and you cannot say florida no i I wasn't gonna say florida they got a new one now so they do they do they do favorite sec ballpark man there's some good ones there and mississippi state is new now so i really the old one was pretty cool i'll tell you what man arkansas was fun arkansas was a cool environment um I think it's Bomb Stadium. I'd, I'd have to say for me, uh, Arkansas was was probably top. Best hitter you ever faced? Best hitter I ever faced. Um, it's a tough one, man. There's some good ones. I'm going to go with uh, Jackie Bradley. He was pretty good at South Carolina in college. He was. He was. Yep. Toughest SEC crowd. Maybe meanest Toughest. SEC crowd might also be a... The meanest? Um, that's a good one, man. Um Mississippi State was pretty rough, man. Mississippi State. Now that the outfield lounge, it was weird because they they get on you and then they'd offer you something to eat. So I did. I didn't really know how to take that. You know, I was like, do you hate me or do you like me? But when when they got into it, there, there was a few instances where you know there were some close plays and and you know jawing going on. But the the state fans would get on you pretty good. Would you rather beat Miami or Florida State? Uh, Miami, one hundred percent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Carson, thank you so much for joining for Phenom on the Farm. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Of course. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.